Welcome to Dyslexia and Beyond. In Dyslexia and Beyond, we cover multiple learning differences, including dyslexia. We interview people who have dyslexia and have learned ways to get over their dyslexia, as well as people who work with people with dyslexia every day and learn about what those people do and how it helps people with dyslexia. For a second podcast, we will be looking into neuroplasticity in a place called the Listening Center out of Toronto, Canada. The Listening Center runs a variety of programs which help people with various learning differences and disabilities get over their learning differences and improve. I like to think this is where I learned to read, as when I went in, I could not read, and when I left the program, I was able to read. Paul Mandel, who is the founder of the Listening Center out of Toronto, is here to tell us more about the program and who they can help. Okay. So, hello, Paul. How are you today? Hello. I'm just, okay. <laughs> Hi, Marco. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Would you please tell me a little bit about yourself and your experience with listening training? Well, first, uh, before I can talk about listening training, I, I have to talk about how I, I got into it. The work that I'm doing is very related to my own history of learning disability and more specifically dyslexia since I was, since I can remember myself. But what was good about experiencing dyslexia is that I experience it and I experience all its pitfalls and all this frustration it comes with it and uh, until I was 18 years old which means that it's only at 18 years old that I found a program and, a, and, a, and it was a medical doctor who told, me, who told me there is something we can do about it. And that was after many, many years of trying things, but trying things which were not working, which, you know, my parents brought me in many places in order to, to try to, to improve my difficulties. But it wasn't working. Then I met uh, someone called uh, Dr. Tomatis, and uh, he recommended me to come to Paris. I, I was living in, as you can hear, I'm French, and I was living in the south of France. Uh, going to Paris was a, a, you know, it, it was a journey. I mean, it was like eight hours uh, train from my hometown, etc. And uh, I uh, and I experienced firsthand his work which now it's we call the listening training program which means that that's where the listening training program is coming from my own experience and how does uh, how does listening training work the listening training really uh, as the name indicated is uh, this training and listening and uh, we will talk perhaps later about listening and uh, go into the detail about what it is but basically what it is is the training is to start from the understanding that many people who have difficulty with language uh, both receptively which means that understanding and uh, or what we call processing language information or expressing you know difficulty with speech difficulties with uh, pronunciation difficulty with speech flow like, like some people who have hesitation and uh, by extension difficulty with language as it is transmitted uh, through the written word 
which means written language, which means difficulty with reading and writing, which we call dyslexia, have a lot to do with how we perceive sounds. I was, because I was not hard of hearing, I had a perfectly normal hearing, I had absolutely no idea that my perception of sound were not top-notch. I was not listening the, fin the fine details of how the information is coming. And in order to work, uh, in order to, to really understand what people were saying, I was putting extra brain power to to make to make sense out of I was hearing. That is what listening is, the ability to pick up what we want, leave out what we don't, the fine the fine tuning of the of hearing, if you want. Well this doctor found that I was not doing that very well. And good news is that he had developed a technology through sound uh, recordings and uh, mechanical, uh, I mean, electronic ways of modifying sound to, re to improve, to clarify, to make more efficient this function of listening, which means that I didn't know I had a problem with my ears. In fact, it was not really a problem with my ears. It was a problem with how the ear connect with the brain. And what this program did was to make you make me listen more more in fine details the information coming, and it became easier not only to receive information but to express myself. I started uh, being more uh, at ease in, in in communication situation. It happened that at that time, because I was having to learn English. I was sent to in England to to study English during the vacation, some kind of a language camp, and I realized very quickly after the beginning of the listening training program I had in Paris that it was much much easier to communicate even in another language. That's perhaps why I like English perhaps so much is because and I decided to make my life in the English speaking world is because it was like wow I can communicate I can make joke I can. Uh, I can understand joke and respond right away, even in English, <laughs> which, which was something quite new for me. Well, this experience about uh, that I had at the time, which is now more than many, many years ago, I have to say more than 50 years ago, it's still the work that I am doing to help people who have many sort of difficulty, mostly learning related, attention span related, communication related, and specifically dyslexia. I mean, I basically, I continue to do what I've experienced my, on myself, what I have learned later how to do, working with this doctor in his clinic in Paris, uh, going to university to study psychology uh, in Paris in order to, to have a diploma to practice this work and then going basically all over the world and landing in Canada uh, to develop this work in North America. That was in 1978, which is, you know, a few years you were before you were born. <laughs> in the last century. <laughs> so would you say that the work with this doctor helped inspire you to start the Listening Center in Toronto? 
absolutely yes uh in fact uh, when uh, when I, we start in toronto this doctor was still alive and very active and we come together i was his assistant and the idea was to develop a center and then two centers in toronto and then three centers one in two in toronto one in montreal and uh, he, he was of course leading the the show and I was basically assisting him in training staff, in seeing clients, in developing program. Then little, but then went back to Paris. We had worked together in other places like that. It was not new. We had worked in South Africa. We had worked in several places in in Europe, which it was not new for me. I was there to develop uh, this work. Um, I had already knowledge of English. And then it happened that I like Canada so much that I decided to stay. <laughs> and I'm still here. <laughs> so how does the program with listening work? Yes. Oh, the pro. Okay. How yeah. the listening work? Okay. Okay. The program with listening. Okay. Let me let me restart. Well, the the listening program, the listening training works in two steps. The first step is to work and develop receptive listening uh, the, those steps are in fact are very very similar uh, uh, in fact uh, repro- the, uh, respecting the step of development of the child okay when you're born you are surrounded by all kind of sound all kind of stimuli and then little by little you start picking up around you those sounds which you like for example the sound of your mom saying something to you, this is a, your dad, I mean, the, the environment of sound. But first of all, before a baby is able to say any word, he listen, he open his ears, receive all kinds of things, and react with smiles or not. <laughs> but is what we call receptive listening, which means that what we start uh, helping people with is to develop this receptive listening. Assuming that this function of listening for some reason along the way from birth to, and perhaps even before birth to our, to our actual life has been impaired, has been uh, troubled, has been uh, something happened to it. Okay. Are we, 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 we basically take sound, sound of music mostly, modify those sounds to increase the the range of the sound which are, are faulty in the ability of the person we can see that by testing the listening function we have different way of doing that but what we are going to do is to reinforce the range of sound which are not working very well and basically put a, a magnifier on those sounds through the through the work with a piece of equipment that we call now, which was before the electronic ear, and now we call it the lift. Uh, This piece of equipment permit to modify the sound to make you attuned to what is necessary. That's the first thing. And then the second thing which happened is that we have a system in the machine, and I'm I'm not going to go into the detail of how it works, but which basically send the information to you here in an impulsive way through impulses instead of linear right now if i talk to you you hear my voice what we, when we call in a linear manner 
But if I start talking like this and, and you know putting some emphasis, you are going to be more likely to listen to me. Okay, when you take the great speech, you know I had a dream and all those great speech, which really wake awaken people. Not only they were interesting in the content, but the delivery, the way they were told, was making people listen. Well, this machine has. A, a piece of technology we call, which we call an electronic gate, which permits you to receive the information and transmit it, basically transmit it to the brain, force you to pay attention to it, force your brain to pay attention to it. While normally what happens with many people who have a listening problem is that they receive sounds and they pass oh, sometimes we say they go from one ear and they go to the, from one ear to the other, but they don't stick. Okay, which means that we basically make the information stick. That is the passive phase or the receptive phase of the program. You listen music, you can, you know, and you have done that you, yourself. You you can play, you can draw, you you can you, you you can even play with other other kids. You can even fall asleep. The listening function is going to co to, to work on its own thanks to that sound stimulation. Then. When this is done, we go to the next step, which is working on expressive listening. Expressive listening is basically listening to yourself, producing songs, song of singing, song of talking, song of reading, when reading out loud, which means basically becoming your first listener. Uh, and, and this listening permit to modify, mon uh, to, to monitor your voice in a clearer way, in a more uh, balanced way, in a more articulate way, which makes that you, 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 your voice becomes, for, for many, many people who have difficulty with listening, we can hear in the voice difficulty with hesitation, mispronunciation, uh, or, or, or you know this kind of thing. Or a voice which doesn't articulate, like a voice which is a little bit flat and monotone. This we are trying to work on this by asking people to read out loud mostly or to sing for some people who want to improve their singing. But the purpose is not just reading out loud for the purpose of reading out loud, is to make you listen in a corrected way through this piece of equipment uh, that I was talking about before. And does and the reading out loud improve yes. the reading? That's right. Okay. Then, 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 when your listening has been uh, primed, when your attuning ability has been developed, when you look of self-listening, listening to yourself, what we call audio vocal control, is developed, then it's time to strike uh, to strike while the iron uh, while the iron is hot. You know, it's a uh, the reading out loud exercise that we ask people following the program is to reinforce, develop, continue to enrich your listening function. Uh, I know that you are interested, and perhaps I'm moving a little bit forward here, in neuroplasticity. And I am interested in neuroplasticity too, because there are many, 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 for many, many years, we were doing this work with people of all age and we were obtaining results 
improvement, improvement very consistent, improvement, lasting improvement, but we didn't have a way to explain why. Why? Because normally the people who understood the brain say, were saying that the brain after a period of, uh, of the, which called the, the window of opportunity, which is a few first years of life for development of language, basically become hardwired. Meaning that how can you explain the result we are obtaining with people uh, of different age if the brain is not capable of changing? Well, neuroplasticity is a discovery by a, a group of people that the brain can change even in adult life. There is an example, for example, very well known in the proponents of neuroplasticity, is the fact that taxi drivers, and the study was done in London, eh? taxi drivers in London have been shown to have in the brain, of course, you have to open the brain and that's, uh, you know, that's after they passed, in the brain have a visual uh, a, a visual spatial uh, part of the brain which is more developed than people who are not taxi drivers, which means that basically the, they have developed a brain map of the, 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 the city of London which has modified the structure of the brain. And as you know, a taxi driver doesn't start driving his taxi at three years old. The taxi driver only start driving when he's an adult, which means that in adulthood, the brain has still the capacity to change its structure if it is specifically stimulated by what you want to learn. That's why there is hope for everybody. <laughs> so does, um, how does listening training affect the brain then? Does it do listening, similar? Uh, what, what one thing about neuroplasticity is that's another, I mean, the explanation of my neuroplasticity about how does it affect the brain is firing create wiring. If you keep firing the brain over and over and over again, it's going to modify and reach, develop that part of the brain that you are firing. Okay? That, which means that basically you, you, you are wiring the brain in a different manner. The program that we are doing is starting this process of wiring the brain in a, for sounds that in the beginning, sounds and information that is the beginning before we start the program, were not properly, didn't have a, a proper location in the brain. They were a little bit lost. And then that's the neuroplasticity part of our program. That's why it's very important to read out loud and keep reading out loud. We have to keep firing this new way of receiving the information, firing in order to wire, firing for wiring, firing for wiring. And the more you do that, the more you get your learn reading disability, your dyslexia at bay. You are learning and you are giving your brain an opportunity to perceive in a different, corrected, clearer, more attuned manner. That's a neuroplasticity part so of our work. Could you also do uh, listening training for creativity then? Is that possible? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, well, it's interesting what you are asking because listening training is uh, about accessing 
information and transmitting it properly to the brain. I do not think that we can help people with their creativity if they do not have creativity in the system, which means that what we do is that we open the door of creativity for someone who decides to be creative. And, and it's interesting, your question, because uh, uh, when I was working with Dr. Tomatis, he was very much, he was a, you know, he was a doctor of the, singer of the Opera of Paris. He was very much in the, the, the art world of what was at the time one of the center of art, Paris. And he had a, a, a lot of uh, friends and who were painters. I remember that. And I got from Dr. Tomatis my love for, as you can see here, for abstract painting. It comes from him. I, I, he, I was interested myself in art, but abstract art is really something that he opened my eyes to. And he was surrounded by artists. And sometime to time, artists, you know, artists is, is not an easy job in the sense that uh, you have an exhibition, you are successful, you sell your paintings, and then next year you have to have another exhibition and be successful and sell more. And then you have to keep up with developing your creativity, but ch changing because you cannot repeat the same thing over and over again. They were coming to his, to, to his clinic and Tomatis was giving them sound stimulation, which means basically a listening training program to help them to regain some of the creativity, to reopen the creativity. They had it, but it was blocked. And it's not just creativity. I helped a lot of people who, for example, uh, are in the middle of a big project, for example, a PhD dissertation, you know, doctorate uh, dissertation. In the middle of it, they feel that they cannot continue. They have a block, a creative block, a mental block, whatever. They start doubting about themselves. They think they are not in the right path, path etc., etc. We give them a program, and very often, this permits them to move on to the next step which means that we do not make people creative, which permit them to express better and having more ease in expressing their creativity. And I would say that also with intelligence. We are not making people intelligent. That's, that will be a completely wrong way of, of explaining the work we do. But some people get better marks and quite fast and, 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 and past grades and uh, go to university while before they were not even thinking about something like this. I mean, you know one. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, but so <laughs> at least at least four or five years of listening. And my marks yes, have well, really, yeah. really improved. <laughs> so there you are. And it's not because you are more intelligent. It's because you were intelligent. And you, you, and I remember you. I remember you. I mean, that, let's talk personal a little bit. I remember you the first time you come to, to us. And that was in 2015. Yeah. And you were frustrated, not happy, not a happy camper. You didn't, you, 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 and, and you know what? I like that. I like that because I was seeing someone who was not taking the situation in which you err for granted. It was not okay, that's the way I am, then let's go, I'm, you know, I'm not good at school, let's... Uh, let, I wanted let, to be, let, I, really, I thought, I was yeah. like, um, I was in a stage of thinking like I wasn't smart, and I was like, 
I was like, I really want to be smart though. And I know I, I like, there are certain things that I knew more about in than my, the rest of my class, but I couldn't get the marks. Like I was always behind yes. and I didn't know why. And it was like, and it just made me very not happy with myself. Cause it was like, yeah. I wow. knew all the things I just like, I, I couldn't do basic math. Like I can't, I couldn't do addition or subtraction. Yeah. I, I still can't, I can't, uh, it's like, I can do it, but it's hard. I have trouble with oh, multiplication, yeah. but then the really complicated formulas and all the really like big stuff that everyone else is in my class is like, Oh, this is not good. I just love doing those. Like those are fun because, um, I don't know that they, they kind of combined everything together and then it makes sense and you can see how it works, which is like, yeah, yeah which is, well, you know, when I, when I met you, I, well, the style was very, very different. I have to say, we, we have everyone has his own personality. Everyone has his own style, but the content was very much experience. The way you were going through the, the the difficulty of not liking your output, not liking what you expressed, because you knew somewhere your brain knew that you're better than that, and you cannot yeah. show it. You know, I I I, I could relate to that. And that has been, in a way, why I've been able to to be supportive, not just with the program, but with my my advising, my guidance uh, to young people with that kind of difficulty. I see them right away. I liked you. No, it's, it's nothing to do with yeah. personal, but professionally, I liked you because you were, you were frustrated. The things that were perhaps not likable for some people. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> perhaps your teachers, I don't know. I liked it because I knew that you were not wanting to stay where you were. And I knew that with the program we had, you were going to find yourself closer and closer and closer of where you wanted to be. This was the experience I had had, and I knew it was going to be yours. And, you know, seven years later, now we talk and see where you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note, um, yes. what is uh, in your website? You have an article, I think, that you wrote about dyslexiafied world, and this is kind of a good intro to that. Yes. What would you say is a dyslexiafied world? The dyslexiafied world is a word that I made up. Distorted world. You have to remember, I wrote that. In fact, that was my first presentation in Canada when I came in Toronto. <laughs> so I presented in a conference in 1978, which means that I was, uh, I was still in my 20s. And because I had dyslexia until I was 18, and I was still feeling, I mean, it's, you know, the, uh, the, the, the thing that I'm going to say is that dyslexia disappeared. No, it's part of you. But the difference is, you know, this is a water. You are here, you drown. You are here, you survive. <laughs> and the, the purpose of or life with a learning disability or any type of difficulty is to try to put it as low as possible, but it's never going to disappear. The dyslexified world was 10 years after my experience with the, having been an adolescent and a child with, with dyslexia and having, quote unquote, recovered. It was still close enough to have the feeling of what it, of what it felt. Uh, uh, so, you know, the so, so ressenti yeah. we call in French, and uh, uh, and the, 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 the feeling of not 
not communicating well with others is one aspect of it, not reading well, an aspect of it, not writing well, one aspect of it, yeah. being told you could do better with more effort while knowing exactly. that as much effort you put uh, doesn't help. That's you do. one yeah. aspect. But the main aspect, and particularly the one which keeps coming up and up and up with adolescents, with teenage and adolescents, is you become, uh, you start doubting about yourself, about your ability, about your skill, about your worth. You become dyslexified. That was a word that, that developed, uh, meaning that dyslexia is basically make you become distorted. You, you, the distortion that this, this way of receiving the information distorted, start distorting you and start distorting your relationship with others. You become uh, perhaps a little bit uh, moody or sad or or you, 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 people do not really understand you well because they don't, you know, they see you, you know, like it seems that you are doing very well. What, why are you complaining for? Why, why, and why, you know, you seem to be a clever guy. You, 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 why don't you have those marks? And many, particularly 50 years ago, when people were not having good marks, the reason why they were lazy, you know, that's all that it was, you know. The, Things have changed now quite a lot since that time. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to explain to people at that time what it is to leave dyslexia from within. And I, I'm sure that one day if you want to sit and, and write, you could write your own dyslexified world. You could yeah. tell people what it feels. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably, I'll link that uh, article in the description because it's actually really good, especially for like a parent who's trying to understand what's going on in their kid and what, why are they struggling or because yes. it's it yeah. really it really article part in it that talks about how they seem like a dyslexic kid with dyslexia might start to seem demotivated yes, and then absolutely. their teachers will who try to help them eventually become demo demotivated on helping them and then absolutely to, yeah. yeah and that, that's exactly the purpose of that's the something there's really good teachers out there who can really help but there's something that you do notice when you have dyslexia that like at, there's always a point where you become really demotivated i guess mm -hmm. for me it was probably just before i went to the program and the t and just following it for the first like year or two while i was still like trying to well i was kind of on this like curve of going up and getting yes. better yeah. where i just kind of felt really demotivated and i couldn't i was not not happy with my performance or anything and it was like the teachers who were teaching me also became they weren't giving me the same amount of effort as it was so right yeah you, you, it, it's a, the, I, I, I wrote somewhere in the dyslexified world the relationship with others become dyslexified in the sense that people do not understand you the way you want them to understand them and you don't know how to explain to them to understand how to understand you better it's this kind of vicious circle which makes life difficult but and 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 you know uh, talking about improvement I, and i know that because i have uh, i have experienced that myself and and i have seen it with many 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 people having difficulties is that a, an improvement is not a straight line it goes it with up and it goes with down. It goes with up and it goes with down. It goes with up. Which means at some time, time we have to take her. You have to take her perspective and look at the curve in general. And what's important is that in general, 
uh, as a, as a whole, it's still continuing, still continues to go up. And that's why I I'm totally, totally ready to help people years after the end of the program and some time to time to give boost or to give some recommendation or reminders of things that they could do in, because I know I have experienced it myself. It, it's, it's, it's an up and down peak and valley type of track <laughs> trip. <laughs> so, so, uh, do you, uh, do you see with the program like immediate improvement or usually improvement over time? It depends. Uh, some people see immediate improvement and uh, the danger of that is that they expect things to happen very fast because they are so excited. And then it kind of plateau. And in fact, because they become more difficult, they want more, that's normal. They become not more difficult, but more demanding with themselves. They feel that it doesn't maintain as much as it was and they want more. Well, we give more. Some other people, it takes time. It takes time. And some other people, the, the, the progress do not necessarily start with what they want. Like, for example, in the case of, uh, of difficulty at school, very often the, the progress that we see first are more is with socialization, having a, a sports sometimes get better, like coordination and so on. And there are explanations for that. Uh, um, people who are more social make friends uh, how many times I've heard in my life he made his first friends well he was coming to the center in order to read better and why now he's making all kind of friends <laughs> he still doesn't read Okay, <laughs> let's keep going keep going keep going he's going to start reading yeah that happens I read um, I've done I've done the reading one I think three times now the reading reading program yes and it's gotten to a point I'm really happy with. For example, that mm -hmm. before, like when I actually first went to the program, I couldn't read at all. Like I barely read. Um, yeah. I pretty much, I couldn't read. And yes. that was like me way behind everyone else in my class, right? Cause they would all be reading and I just could be looking at the word, like kind of like, there are hieroglyphics, but, yes, um, yes. but then uh, I went to the program. I did the, the, I think it was the second week where we started the reading out loud. Yes, um, yes. And then so I did wrong. that yes. for a few mm -hmm. more years. I didn't, mm -hmm. there, you don't actually have to go to Toronto. They can send you a little lift. Yeah. Um, so I started getting that. And now I have, yesterday, I read half a book in about three hours. So, and it wow. was, I think it was, I, that was 250 pages. Wow. So that, it really has improved from not being able to read at all to, I think, pretty good reading. So, well, to keep you, you know, you, we, we know each other now for seven years. If I look yes. at her, uh, I often tell people that I read out loud 10 years. But during these 10 years, I didn't just read out loud. I finished school. I went to university. I learned English. I went to live in, in, in another country, but to work in an English speaking language. But, and I, I, you know, and I wrote a book in, uh, in English. All this require reading at loud, reading at loud. Neuroplasticity, you remember? Firing, wiring, firing, wiring. I needed to increase my language real estate in the brain, if you want. <laughs> yeah. I still, I still do get problems with reading, but I feel like that's just like the converting of the words into some sort of like visual spatial media that I can understand where 
when I'm reading like a paragraph, I might jump lines. Yes. And then it doesn't make sense. And then I have to go back up and then I'll read it properly. Yes. So I, I just have to, or I'll be reading here and then somehow I'll end up on a line, maybe two sentences down and then finish the sentence. I'll be like, wait, what happened here? And then, um, but on that note, uh, back to the listening, what type of music can you use for? Is it, can you use any music or is there a certain genre? It's, uh, we use, uh, and I'm not, you know, in the work we do, we use music which is rich in high frequency, uh, which means, which is rich in violin, which means orchestral music rich in violin. Why? Because we need those high frequency for, for technical reasons. High frequency are, in a sound, okay, you have two entities. You have the tone, which gives you the pitch, and you have above this tone what we call the overtones. The overtones is what's going to make at the same pitch, at the same note, a violin and a trumpet sound different. It's the content of the overtones. The overtones is what makes two singers singing exactly the same note sound different. This, the language is it, it made out of sound, of course, and but organized sounds, like we call phonemes. And when you look at phonemes, which is a smaller unity of sound of language, you realize that each phoneme has its own range of tone and overtone. If you modify the overtone, the sound is going to change. If you take R and remove some of the over uh, and and remove some of overtones, for example, you, you're going to hear R or or even a A can become E because of the change of the overtones. What we want to do is to train the ear, meaning stimulate the brain in area where the zone of the overtone is not clear. It's kind of mashed potato. It's, it's, it's messy. <laughs> it's, it, there is no clarity, which means that we want to give clarity in this zone of overtone range, or it's also called harmonic range. Uh, this is why we use, to, to say it short, this is why we use music, violent music, rich in high frequency, and specifically Mozart. Why Mozart? This is another story. But one thing about Mozart, which we know, and which we find very interesting, is that Mozart started composing very, very young, and were exposed to music and being music very, very young, before he even developed his own language. And his music, because of that, has a richness, which we call as a universality. Many people all over the world respond to the music of Mozart, even if they've never had any classical music training. They just like it because it sounds like the music of a kid, you know. Some people find it even a little bit tiring because it's too, it's too happy <laughs> for many people. But this is good to work with children, mostly. Yeah. That is why we use music of classical music, mostly music of Mozart. So at the listening center, which yes. um, which learning differences uh, could you help the best with? Well, I think learning disabilities, which include dyslexia, is a very good, perhaps a, some of the best results we have. 
there is another field which is, you know, with the feature ADHD. ADHD with the people with a attentional deficit and hyperactivity or without hyperactivity. We can help them too, as long as there is in their profile, it's been in the way, in the description of the difficulty, some difficulty paying attention. You know, there are different types of ADHD. The paying attention, the maintaining your concentration, but paying attention particularly to what people say or paying attention to the work you have to do, particularly when it is written work. If you have this kind of difficulty as part of your ADHD, you are a good candidate for a listening program. Interesting enough, people who have difficulty with coordination, fine motor function, kids who are a little bit, kids or adults who are a little bit clumsy, are also good candidates. And the reason is that when you, when you stimulate the ear, the sound, which we known as a sound receptor, the ear is also the movement receptor. That's what make, the ear makes us aware of all the movement of the body. Okay. It's called the vestibular system. And when we know that when you stimulate with sound, you, uh, certain sound at a certain pace, as a certain reason, you induce movement. And music also not only helps to develop the, the function of listening, perception of sound, but also refine the ability to control your movement. Another form of problem that we are helping is uh, children, as long as the problem is relatively mild, and as long as the child is relatively young, we help children in the autistic spectrum. Children who basically hear everything, sometimes hear too much, yeah. uh, sensitivity yeah, sure, sure. to sound, to yeah. trouble filtering out, yeah. and uh, we help them to basically focus focus more on the information they need to receive, which means that we help those people as well, decreasing their sound sensitivity, permitting them to be more at ease in situation of social interaction, uh, instead of trying to stay away from them or to cut themselves off them, which is very often what happens with children in the spectrum. And that these are mainly those that we help. We also help singers who want to improve their voice, musicians who want to improve their instrument playing, uh, people who want to learn how to read music. You know, some people are musicians, but they cannot read music. They are dyslexic for music. We can help them too. I mean, and there is all kind of other application, but these are the main ones. Are there rules that need to be followed when doing the listening program? When doing the listening, we prefer, particularly now that people are doing the listening at home. Uh, the listening center since COVID has changed. It's a way of working. We have been so successful over the year in helping people with at home as a continuation of the program that they started at the center. Now we are doing all the program in the form of home program. There are very few rules, but one will be not to concentrate too much on another activity than the one of listening. For example, we advise people not to read a a complicated book during the program. They can leave out, they can re look at image on magazines or look at picture books or comics if they want, but not really concentrate on reading. Sounds like a paradox, but it's a preparation for reading require not 
to read. <laughs> Others uh, it, it don't make, particularly now that we are working with home programs, let's try not to do the program in a place which is too busy with other stimuli, you know, a TV going, a people talking, a people moving everywhere. It's better to do it in a place which is relatively quiet and perhaps in a place which is a little bit dim, not, not too much light, just to to put yourself in a situation of uh, of rest. Some people would call meditation. You know, just uh, just take it easy. There, there are other. I don't see any other rules really. Is there a rule on technology? Sure. It is it is advisable not to use a screen during the program. Okay, uh, to use a you know to computer or any kind of a screen while you are doing the program. Yes. Right. Perhaps you should have that. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps you, yeah. you could say it yourself because you know that. Yeah. I, I can't use a computer at all during it. <laughs> uh, and why is that? Why? Uh, mm. Because we don't want you to concentrate too much on something else. And there is something which is very uh, uh, hypnotizing uh, when it comes to the screen, when it comes to program which uh, is going to take your brain away from the listening. We want your mind to float and not to be too much into some other activity. And this, plus at the level of the vibration of the screen, you know, like uh, the screen is basically some vibration which stimulates the brain in a certain way. We are trying to stimulate it in another way. Let's do not confuse it. <laughs> yeah, because here it's just, yeah, we have it changes. So, That's right. Um, or is it like once you're finished listening, like once you take the headphones off for the day, do you still have to be off the screen or can you have uh, the headphones on the whole time? No. Or, I mean, the, when you don't have you, like, When you have the headphones off, you can go back to the screen. That said, uh, I would prefer if they, if I, if, if I was advising yeah. that we give a little bit of time, like a good uh, 15, 20 minutes without the screen before going back to the screen. It's not a strong recommendation, but it's preferable, particularly for people who are screen addicts. <laughs> you know, when, when someone has to go back to work, I cannot tell them, well, wait another 15 minutes before you go back to the screen. That's another story. But people who are totally obsessed by the screen, it's better to give a little bit of time. In fact, it's better to go for a walk, to go for a, a, something physical or a swim or something physical following the information, uh, following the stimulation. It's good to, for the integration, for embodiment of the information. Okay. How would you describe dyslexia as someone who works with people with dyslexia every day? Dyslexia is, uh, I mean, the, the, neuro, the neuro definition is a dysfunction of reading, is a difficulty to read. The way I look at it is a difficulty to receive the, the world of sound in a precise manner. And that doesn't only apply to dyslexia. There are a lot of other problems which have that, and particularly auditory, uh, what we call auditory processing difficulty, or uh, as we called before, ADD. You know, people who are not able to take off the information that they need in order to concentrate or to focus on what they need. Dyslexia for me, for me personally, is not receiving the world, receiving the world with so many distortions. You are living 
as if you were, and that is a dyslexia at a severe level, like if you are living in a foreign country where people talk to you and you really don't understand what they say. That is, that is an extreme, okay? Uh, or looking at a book which is in another language. As you know, you can read the letters, you can read, you can see the words, but it doesn't mean anything. Okay, that is, it is foreigner in your own language, and particularly dyslexia, foreigner in the written language. But very often it's not just the written language, that's what I want to say. It's language in general, and the symptom is, where you are marked, is the written language at school. So how could someone begin to improve their reading skill at home right now? I think it's two things. I would, would like to jump and say, start reading out loud, but you know very well that when you do not read well, it's going to be very difficult and you are going to be frustrated and you are going to stop doing it. It's, mentally, means, it's really meant to be challenging. Yes. Like, which, I only read out loud when... I'm by myself in my house and the dog is in another room. <laughs> I wouldn't even... Do you don't um, even want the dog to listen to you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which means that that's... It, 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 it. The end result should be to read out loud. But in order to reach that point, you have to work on your voice. You have to... When I ask people, and you know that because we, we, we have worked on that before through me or through people who work at the listening center, we ask you to talk with expression. We ask you to, to not articulate. It's, the word articulation is a little bit difficult sometimes. To put expression, to put life, to put oomph in what you say. And I think it was a good way to start with that with someone who has dyslexia will be to play the role of being a child again. It, you just have to play it because, of course, nobody wants to be a child again. <laughs> I mean, no, that's not true, but many people, it's enough. I, I, yeah, once you, I, once I, you, I graduated once you reach 50, it. you kind of want to go back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and when you reach later, you will go back. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but as a game, you know, if you are playful, it's possible as a game or as, uh, as if you wanted to be an actor and the acting is about saying Dr. Seuss, you know, reading Dr. Seuss, reading uh, Cat in the Hat and trying to make it sound as fun and as lively as it can be. Even putting some melodies, some singing into it, like but doing it while looking at the book at the same time. Start with very, very simple words. Very, very simple. That's why you have to go back to the, to the first, you know, the first grade readers. Because yeah, I started with, uh, when I was started reading out loud with the program, I started with comic books. Yes. Because yes. they're not like, I guess they're fun to read when you're a kid, right? And I was, I don't know how old I was. I wasn't that old. Like I was really, I was pretty young. So I would, I would read comic books out loud. Because mm -hmm. they're simple and they're fun to read, and that was like, that was what I did. Because they were they're not overly challenging. You don't get too frustrated. You can still process them easily, and it just like it's kind of slowly prepares you to get into like the more advanced 
less picture books. Yes, it's a very good approach. An approach that we have used uh, a lot in the last year of the listening center and that we are still using it as part of our, the home program with a therapist monitoring, you know, coaching you when you're through Zoom is place. One thing which is very disinhibiting is to speak with someone else's voice. <laughs> it's like putting a mask. When you put a mask, you can do things that you would not do if people knew who you were. Well, when you change your voice, you can do things that you will be surprised to do. Children with uh, autism, for example, speaking much, speak much better with another voice. Stutterers sometimes can speak perfectly well when they move to someone else's voice. Well, dyslexia, why not? Try to change your voice, which means that a script, movie script, for example, they are all over the internet. You can find them. We, we use a lot of scripts of popular movies that kids like in order to make them pretend to be someone else. And that has a lot to, uh, that helps a lot people who are so self-conscious that they are going to say it wrong, they are going to read wrong, etc. That is what I would suggest with people with, who want to read better if they have dyslexia. Go with scripts, go with comic books like you have done, go with simple first graders, go with Dr. Suss. That's the way to go. Could you listen to Mozart at home without it going through the machine? Or do you have to have it specially made? You, oh, no, you can listen to, to Mozart at home. With the, the thing is that if you, if you listening is received, if you receive the information distorted, it might not have the same impact. That said, uh, there is a whole field, which is music therapy, where they use music, all kinds of music, to help people, to support people, and it works, which means that what we are doing is very specific. We are trying to remove distortions. But that said, there is nothing wrong about playing music, Mozart and others at home. Some people, not always, and that we have to be careful about it, like to study with music in the background. In that case, find if it helps them, but put the music very, very soft not loud otherwise it's gonna distract you i can't study with music in the background uh, i can only study writing, like when yeah, there's no yeah, sound yeah. <laughs> you see not everybody is the same some people like to have that kind of stimulation to keep them to keep their brain stimulated while they are trying to concentrate that's why you know there is no universal advice for all those things and then do you also have like a prepared like pre-made playlist of the Mozart music that someone could do at home? Yeah, well, there are some, yeah, okay. It's, it's, we do not have a list, but we can give uh, some recommendation. Music rich in high frequency. There, there is not just Mozart. You can use other classical music, Haydn. Uh, you can use uh, Paganini, for example. But as long as there is a lot of high frequency in the music. Now, high frequency meaning high, higher harmonics. This is why violin is important. Some people, particularly a little bit older than you, 
find violence a little bit too aggressive. They, Mozart himself stopped, was a violin player and stopped playing violin because he found that it was aggressing his ears. And he went into, I mean, he was also a pianist and continued to play piano. Little by little, the ear and the brain change, and some adults prefer to hear the music of cello. For it's uh, it, it's also rich in high frequency, but it's not as aggressive that perceived as aggressive than the music uh, as a musical violin, for example. Uh, chants, uh, choirs, choir music uh, is is very good too. Uh, some people and and I am not at all against modern, I mean uh, contemporary music, but I don't really see it as a mean to help you to develop your listening and listening related skill and to stimulate your brain. It's more music for entertainment. Eh? I'm talking mostly about music to really stimulate your brain and reach your attention, permit you to concentrate better. Music with high frequency in the overtone range, which means which mean mostly uh, violin, cello, trumpet, uh, this kind of music, and, and choir music. Uh, that's, I think it's very important too. Hmm? Is it uh, the Gregorian chanting? I think yeah, Gregorian right. chanting is, a mus- is, a, is something that we use we don't ask people, particularly if they're not interested in, in church music, to listen to it at home. But we use Gregorian chants because it very, first of all, it has a, 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 a pace, a, a reason, which correspond to people at rest, people who are unstressed. It permits you to breathe better. You need to breathe deeply to sing the melody of Gregorian chant. And it is very much in very rich in those overtones, in those harmonics that I was talking about before. That's why we are using it. It's a good music to come down. For me, when I want to write something, when I want to concentrate on something, I put Gregorian chant or cello music in the background. That works for me. Doesn't work for everybody, but that's what I do. And are there listening centers or like similar centers outside of Canada or are they mainly in Canada? There, there are many places. Uh, the listening center is only one place. Huh? Mm-hmm. But the technique that we are using, which was developed by Dr. Tomatis, has been uh, taken by many people in different ways, which means that you have to go to the, the internet and see where this work is and choose a practitioner closer to you. Now that we are working in the form of home programs, borders, uh, people don't have to travel to come to us anymore, you know, like, uh, uh, which means that we, the paradox is that we are open to more people than we were before. But we are not the only ones. There is, for example, a center in Seattle directed by a lady called Liliana Sakarin. She's doing a very good job. There are some I cannot tell you because particularly since COVID seems have changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I am more aware of centers in Europe, in Italy, for example, in uh, Modena, there is a very good uh, practitioner there. There are places and, and there are places, in the, in, but, but for more detail, you just go to the internet and see what's there. Okay. 
And then how does the lift system work where you would send somebody that's, uh, it's kind of like a little black box. With, yeah, it's uh, a little black box with a volume control or two volume control because we also work with air conduction, which means sound coming through the headphones and bone conduction, sound coming through vibrator to, to permit a fuller sound. And then there are some uh, filtering, which means that cutting some, uh, modifying some of the range of the music to reinforce some of the area people need to work on. It's a, it's a very simple machine. It takes about 20, 30, 40 minutes sometimes to explain the functioning of the machine and the program to people who receive it by FedEx, uh, receive it at home. We, we have a Zoom and we explain how to operate it. It's a simple it's a very simple, it's a, a, attached to the machine, you have an audio player and all the sound programs that we use for the program, for, for, for the listening training program are on the audio player. It's very, very simple. <clears throat> you have done it yourself, you know. <laughs> yeah. You just, pro, you have to program it too. Yeah. You, yes. You right. get the, you get this little box and then there's three buttons on it and then you get yes. an instruction book. Yeah, and, and we, they, you, yeah, yeah. we send you a you? program, which are two or three little uh, things to do, uh, yeah. and, and then you do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Then, then it's good. So thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. My, my final question for you is, what would you say to someone with dyslexia who is listening right now and is not feeling very good about themselves or, or is worried about their future? Well, dyslexia should not be an obstacle for your future. Dyslexia, it's, it's bigger, uh, while you are a full-time student, which means that during all the, the school years where, uh, language, written language, learning is front and center. The rest of your life is not going to be like that. Of course, the rest of your life will be very much influenced by how you have done at school, but don't think that because you have some challenge at school, you are going to, you, you are not going to make it. There is a lot of work done showing that people with dyslexia have other skills that perhaps give them an edge compared to others. They are very good in visual, spatial uh, abilities. Great number of people who did very well, you know, Thomas Edison and uh, Einstein have had a history of dyslexia. It's not, uh, it, it's, it should, it's, it makes it more difficult, but it's not going to determine, or you should not think that it's going to cut you off from the action with your life. Yeah. There, there is a gift of dyslexia. You, 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 you have to listen to yourself. You have to know what you are good at. You have to, what, what's most important, I, I can see it through my, my work with people is to have a start, to have, to have something to follow, to have a, a vision, uh, and you will find a way to get through that vision, dyslexia or not. And there are ways which can also help you to decrease the symptom of dyslexia. So both educational, you know, there are uh, there are schools which are more permit you to go into direction which are more some people call right brain, more spatial, visual. Uh, artistic, if what you are, there are there are different routes. When I was dyslexic, we had only one route 
you had to succeed at school in a certain way to go to university and you have to succeed in university in a certain way to get a diploma. Things have changed. Doesn't mean that it's less challenging. It is. But people with dyslexia also can benefit from technology now. Take advantage of it. You know, take advantage of spell checks. Take advantage of a right. Yes, uh, speak to text. Take advantage of all these uh, audiobooks. Uh, this didn't exist. I know a lot of people who go through, they study through audiobooks. Why not? It's there. Take it. Yeah. Don't you, what you're saying is don't let it don't let dyslexia hold you back. Like absolutely, what, what's happening to you now is not going to be what happens to you in the exactly. future. Exactly, and uh, yet, and it's true when you are young and at school and a teacher every day telling you how you're doing, it's front and center. But put it in perspective. That's not what life is going to be. Thank you, Paul. I really enjoyed talking to you today with you today and I'm sure that everyone who's listening would have enjoyed this conversation uh, and thank you for giving us your time. Thank you. So Have a nice day. Great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Dyslexia and Beyond. I can't wait to see you next month when we interview Fraser Rowland, a brain injury survivor who has a very unique take on learning differences.